the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We always enjoy our visits with you, and uh, so does Alan Dempsey. He's our engineer. Can't wait to get here to put this show together for us. Uh, Andrew Herdliska, by the way, is our producer. And Leslie Williams joins us in this first half hour from Kerrville, Texas, near San Antonio. Uh, Her book is out. It's called When Anything Goes. Leslie, welcome to Central Florida here. We're glad we can visit. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted. When anything goes, um, being Christian in a post-Christian era, I guess, what's that all about? What's it mean? Well, what it means is that, and and we go back several centuries here, in the Middle Ages, everything was Christian. Everything. Uh, The Holy Roman Empire was based on, supposedly based on, Christian values, and then the Renaissance came along, then the Reformation, and then the Pilgrims came over, and they wanted freedom of religion. So our country was founded on the separation of church and state. And up until about the 60s or so, we were still a, quote, Christian country, because most people still went to church and and things like that and believed. But since then, we've been... um, Christians are still present, of course, still praying, still going to church, but the climate of the culture is really post-Christian, and that's what I'm talking about. It's not that Christianity is dead or gone or dying, but we had the God is dead movement, you know, all that sort of thing. So um, that's what it refers to, is living in a time when anything goes, any religion goes, and you can't have prayer in school, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. The first, but, um, the first chapter is called, I Was Not My Own Idea. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Well, you know, there's no, no checklist that you get to do. Well, I want to be born with blonde hair, this, that, and the other. We're just born. God created us. And, and we come out the way we are, you know, and we're shaped by the environment. But um, I was not my own idea. I, I was God's idea, as are you, as is everybody else listening to this, too. We were God's idea, not ours. Our lives belong to God, not to us. And that's what that refers to. We move to the next topic, and that's called I'm Addicted to Meaning. Uh, What what are you telling us here? Well, eventually, and sometimes it happens early, and sometimes it happens late, and sometimes it doesn't happen, but most of us hit a place in our lives, and it's bottoming out, it's... um, being confronted with something we don't understand, it's, it's when we go, wait, what in the heck are we doing here? 
what is life all about? And we are programmed to search for meaning. Our brains are programmed to search for meaning. We can look back in our lives and say, oh, I get it now. Oh, I get it. This is what was happening, and this was a part of a growing process, and if I hadn't have gone through that, then I wouldn't be going through this. But what is the point of it all? And I think we reach that point, most of us, at some time in our lives. And so I always searching for meaning, and for me, meaning in life is the love of God. Mm-hmm. Is the love of God. And, you know, we have imperfect parents. Um, some of us grow up, I had an alcoholic father, and that was difficult, and I had to learn that God's love was not like the love of my dad. That was conditional. God's is not and it fills our lives, it fills us with joy, and that is the meaning for, of life. And, and I tell my kids, I said, you know, you're going through this bad thing. Watch for the redemption. God is working in it. There is meaning in this bad, difficult time. Watch for it. That's, that's what I do. That's how, that's how God has shown me to live my life, and I'm trying to pass that on to my kids because, you know, life deals terrible blows. Terrible blows. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's due to our own bad choices, and sometimes it's just out of the blue, like a hurricane. Speaking of Matthew, <laughs> you know, and and things are destroyed. Things you've worked hard for. Um, there's pain of all different kinds. God is in it. His love is in it, and that is my addiction to meaning, which means I'm really addicted to the love of God by the grace of Jesus Christ. We move now, uh, Leslie, to uh, the topic, the armchair grandfather. Yes, well... Who is he? Uh, well, he is my, my grandfather, and we used to snuggle in his lap, and his name was Dondi. Well, that wasn't his name. That's what we called him. And he would let us read the funny papers and read the funny comic strip, Dondi. And mm. that was just such a huge thing, and, and he was just, he loved unconditionally. You know, as much as one human can, my grandfather loved us unconditionally. So um, what I've done in this book is take the categories of a traditional defense of the faith, and this chapter looks at God. God is Father. And so many of us have fathers that um, hurt, that that are abusive or um, difficult or didn't know how to love themselves, and so they couldn't really love their kids. And so as kids, we have to get over that and understand that there is a Father, God the Father, who just loves us mightily, more than we can imagine. And so that that is a hurdle that some people have to get over, um, including me. I had to understand that there's a different kind of dad out there. Mm-hmm. Leslie Williams is our guest. Uh, We're talking about her book. It's called When Anything Goes. Been there, done that, got the (laughs) T-shirt. Next topic, Les. Okay. Fill us in. Next topic. Okay, been been there, done that, got the T-shirt means that God, the Creator, God, God the Father, did not stay up in the sky, aloof, distant, He came to earth to be one of us, 
And what that means is when I am lying in my bed sick, for instance, I go, you know what? Jesus probably had this. You know, he, there is no way he got through life without a cold, for instance, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, he sweated out all the stuff we sweat out. Um, he had people betray him. He had people who didn't believe him. And anyone who's been through a betrayal can take comfort from the fact that there's a God who endured that for us. And then, of course, in the end, he died for us so that we wouldn't have to carry around our large backpack full of stones of mistakes and sins and regrets. We don't have to carry that around our our whole lives, breaking our backs. Jesus did that for us on the cross. So that's he's been there. He's been there. Whatever we're going through, he's been there. And that's, that's of great comfort to me. Leslie, now let's talk about but you can't see music. Right. That's the fifth topic that you write That's about. That's the fifth topic, and this deals with the Holy Spirit. And this comes from a very cute story. When my son was two years old, he loved music. He ended up being a drummer um, and, and playing in the band and loving music. But when he was two, he was sitting in his car seat. We were singing along to the radio or to one of his little tapes, you know. Mm-hmm. And we pulled into the garage, and he said, Mom... But you can't see music. (laughs) And I said, that's right, baby. You can't see it, but it's very real, isn't it? And that's the metaphor um, that I start out with in the book for the Holy Spirit. It is very real. You can't see it. Now, you know, in the age-old traditional image of wind in the trees, you can't see the wind but you can see the trees moving, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the Holy Spirit is very much alive and at work in lives today. Um, And we can know that it's there because of the actions of the people that the Holy Spirit is working in. My guest is Leslie Williams from Kerrville, Texas. Uh, Her book is called When Anything Goes. Uh, We've got another segment with Leslie. Stay with us. Uh, Right here, it's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in beautiful Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Licensed in all states. Product availability varies. Agents may be compensated on enrollment. Michael Stahl is my guest. He's the vice president of Health Markets. Health Markets is trying to make this crazy Medicare system easier to understand. Would you explain how it works? So Health Markets offers a free service with access to thousands of Medicare plans nationwide to help folks maximize their benefits and save their money. Enrollment in the right plan is not automatic. 
with so many Medicare options out there, it can be confusing. So my advice is to don't go it alone. Get unbiased help to help find a plan. It may cost less. It may cover more with lower co-payments, more choices like dental and vision care, and the freedom to see the doctors you choose. Best of all, Medicare assistance is free. Our licensed agents can do the work for you, making the process really easy. The Medicare enrollment deadline is only weeks away, so it's important to act now. Call Health Markets today. For your free Medicare assistance, call 800-246-3290. That's 800-246-3290. 800-246-3290. We dodged a bullet with Matthew, but it may have played havoc on your roof. Now is the time to get your roof fixed, and here is the deal. Half-price roof vouchers. No catch, no kidding. We have a limited number of half price roof vouchers if your roof has a replacement value of over $10,000. Call 407-618-1760 to find out more. Call 407-618-1760 now to buy your half price roof voucher if your roof has a replacement value of over $10,000. Half price roof vouchers. No catch, no kidding. Call 407-618-1760 now. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Leslie Williams' book is out. It's called When Anything Goes. And I love these chapter titles, Leslie. <clears throat> Very creative. Like this one, Potluck Suppers and Other Worship Opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> that one's about the church. And I go... From the beginning of the church, and the church has always been something of a mess, and yet here it is, still active, still on fire, 2,000 years down the pike. So um, I've had people, my husband is an Episcopal priest who's just retired, and I've had people say all kinds of things about the church. You know, good things and bad things, and and some people go to to try a church. No one says hello, so they come say, "Well, I'm not going to church because no one said hello," or "I'm not going to church because they use an old prayer book," or "I'm not going to church because they don't use an old prayer book." <laughs> you know, I'm go- not going to church because I don't like the music. Whatever, there are a lot of reasons out there why people don't go to church anymore, and that's what I'm addressing. Is that hey? Church is great in spite of it. It's made up of sinners who are forgiven, not perfect, you know, as as the bumper sticker says. And um, it's like a giant bonfire where you can go and warm your hand. And sometimes you have to keep going. You have to make the effort to try. People who are unchurched don't understand. They think it's an institution, and it is, but it's more than an institution. It's an institution that is alive and well and reaching out in all sorts of ways and so this is this is the chapter that says that church was ever thus you know the corinthians were kind of a mess they were some of them were snobs some of them drank too much some of them um you know did this or did that and paul has to address them and say hey guys that whole wonderful chapter 13 is about love love is about each other don't be mean. Be nice. The same basic message to the church today is that we are called to love each other, and sometimes we do that imperfectly. But in this defense of the faith, um, this chapter about church encourages people to join, because there's a smorgasbord of choices out there. You know, it's not like you have to join the established church anymore. 
We don't have that. So this is one of the pluses of in an age when anything goes. You can join any kind of church that you want to, that you feel at home in. Leslie, talk about uh, topic number seven. Whose life is it anyway? Question mark. Well, this is the chapter on control. And for those of us who are children of alcoholics, control is a serious issue because we couldn't control so much growing up. So we said to ourselves, or at least I did, when I grow up, I'm going to do it this way, you know? And so there is um, a serious attempt at trying to control life. Well, bottom line is you can't. You can't control life. I can't control whether I wake up in the morning or not. We are at the stage when a lot of friends are getting cancer. Um, You know, tragedies happen every day, even among young people. People have car wrecks. You can't control life. You can control your choices, but you can't control Aunt Matilda. (laughs) You can't control... (laughs) <laughs> your children, <laughs> you can guide them, lead them, um, have repercussions if they don't um, mind mind the code of ethics and morality at your house. But ultimately, you can't control your children. They are them, and we are us. The only person that you can control, supposedly, is yourself. And then you realize... You can't even control yourself. I say things all the time that I don't, I don't wish I'd, I could unsay, you know? Mm-hmm. And so bottom line in this chapter, and it's a funny chapter, funny, poignant funny, um, is that God is in control, period. He is in control. And you have to give your life over to him. And I've discovered that that comes piecemeal. I say, okay, I can't control whether I get this job or not. All right, Lord, this is up to you. If I'm supposed to have this job, then it will. Then I trust you to make it happen. If I'm not supposed to get this job, I trust you to find what I'm supposed to do for you. Okay? Then there are all the little things, okay? For instance, say a child is doing something that you don't like. You have to say, Lord, I mean, you can do what you can as the parent. But you have to say, Lord, this child is your child. You gave him to, to me or her to me for safekeeping, but this child is on loan. This child is your child. You know, so it's, it's giving up control of all of the things we want control of so badly. <laughs> Les, let's move now uh, to this topic. When I was young, I bit my sister... And that was just the beginning of the problems of being nice. And that's a chapter title. I love it. Right. Well, it's true. And my sister and I have now laughed about that incident. And um, she's embellished it from her end, what she remembers. But we were raised to be nice. You know, we were a good Christian family, and we were raised to be nice at all costs. Well, um, as we discovered when, you know, my my dad did go into uh, recovery and treatment, we discovered that being nice to the max will kill you. Now, being kind is different from being nice, but being nice meant doing what everybody else says you should do with your life. And that's called codependence, 
And that didn't work very well because if you if you had a real serious case of codependence, then you're you disappear because you're busy doing what everybody else wants you to do in life instead of doing what God wants you to do. And so this is the chapter on sin. So I go through all the different kinds of sins uh, using their Greek words, but using current examples, and saying, "Guess what, guys." We are sinners, <laughs> and what do you do about that? Do you sit in sit in your little room of sin and 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 pout and feel bad and beat yourself up for regrets? No, there is a solution, and Jesus is the solution because He died, so we didn't have to stay in that little room that's miserable. Now let's go to this one, Les, and it's called uh, a trip to the beach after ten feet of snow. Yeah, right. Well, how good that feels. Um, I commute between here at New Haven um, as, a, as a Yale fellow, or I have, and I'll tell you what, the difference between Kerrville and New Haven is colder. Oh, yes. <laughs> Let's just say it's colder up there, and it snows a lot. And there were times uh, when I'd be up there when I'd think, oh, my goodness, a trip to the beach where you can lie in the sun, that good, good feeling. Okay, what that is a metaphor for is salvation. You know, how good does it feel when you finally can unload the sins and Jesus takes them from you and you are freed from that? That is just, that is just such an incredible gift to the world. And it's still a gift. The problem in an era when anything goes is that people say, well, Things are not a sin. It's, it's a disease, or it's an accident, or it's a mistake, or it's, it's a psychological condition. Well, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just sin. We don't acknowledge that sin is still around, and it's still in us, and it still causes difficulty. So the acknowledgement, oh, yes, I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness, and then you give, you give that to Jesus. You say, I am so sorry, and then you try to make amends. And that just feels like a day at the beach after 10 feet of snow. Mm. Leslie Williams is with us. <clears throat> We're talking about her book, When Anything Goes. Begging, basking, chatting, screaming, and silence. And silence, yes. What's up? This chapter is about prayer. And, you know, I can remember being a kid and trying to pray, and I wasn't very good at it. I was not a, a spiritually um, mature child, and my dad tried to teach me how to pray, and and I, it felt stilted. It felt uncomfortable. I didn't know who I was talking to. But, you know, 50, 60 years down the pike, um, God has given me the grace to learn how to pray, and sometimes it's not even in words. Sometimes you're shouting at God. Sometimes you're screaming at God. Sometimes you're just basking in His love. That was a real trick for me to learn how to, to bask in God's love for 10, 20 minutes a day, just to sit in my armchair and bask in the love of God. No words were exchanged, you know, so prayer is just chatting with God. And people say, what do you talk about with God? Well, just like you have a, a best friend 
in junior high. What are you talking about? You're talking about the things that are important to you in junior high. Then in college, what are the things important to you in college? A different set of things. Then young adults, what do you what do you think is important? What do you talk with your friends about? All of the things that you think are important that you would talk to your friends about, talk to God about. And then listen, because people forget, especially me, that listening is a part of the conversation. The point is just to keep in touch continually. And, and Paul says, um, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Well, I, I kept thinking, what does that mean? Well, sometimes it's a wordless thing. Sometimes it's just basking in the presence of God. Sometimes it's just pouring out your heart to him and saying, I don't know how to deal with this. Help, help, help. What do I do? And sometimes it's an overabundance of joy. Sometimes life is just so, you know, often when my grandchildren leave the house, I'm just overflowing with gratitude for those little kids. You know, they're just so cute and so wonderful. So I just tell God over and over, I'll thank you so much for these precious little ones, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just keeping the conversation going. Leslie, I want you to talk about... um the thought of dying makes me nervous. <laughs> well, the I think it's the process that makes me nervous because I had a, a tumor um, and had brain surgery twice, actually. Mm. And it was really painful. And so I'm not really eager to go through that kind of pain, especially on a long-term basis, you know, as you're dying. But after you die, that's... That's when the conversation that you've developed through prayer in your lifetime, that's when it really comes into fruition. So it's just the the hinge time. It's just the what causes you to enter the kingdom of heaven that makes me nervous. Otherwise, it's it's an exciting prospect. You know, you reach you reach my age, which is you know, almost retirement, not there, but you think, what's next, okay? Well, next is something that can't even be compared to anything on earth that's so, it's so wonderful. You know, heaven is those moments that you feel you see inklings of the kingdom in your life when there's an unexpected tingling of joy or an unexpected presence um, of God. You can't sustain it on earth. It's just, you know, earth is earth. But in heaven, it's going to be that way. Wow. Wow. Forever. Mm. And so this is in this apology, the defense of the faith, that's what it's called, is um, is an effort to say, hey, guys, you know, as good as we have it on earth, and our, our country is, is blessed, as good as it is, it's even better later. It's even better. You know, so this is one reason... These are all planks and reasons why Jesus is still the best answer in this multicultural world. Jesus is still the best answer. You know, the ice cream, the topping ice cream on the on the cake is is heaven. You know, he's with us here on earth through everything, but but it's even better later. Leslie, uh, can you give me a thirty second summation of what we've been talking about? Oh my gosh! Okay. This book is an attempt to show to people who live in this confusing world with so many choices why Christianity is still the best choice. Now, the argument is not from the Bible, 
There is a free Bible study guide online um, that, that takes it through the Bible. All of the planks, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Church, Prayer, Death, Sin, Salvation, all of the topics are there. Um, and they're all biblically based. Uh, the Bible study guide is what gives you the references. My guest has been Leslie Williams. We've got more after this right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. I'm Gene Thompson of Thompson Jewelers with an important message about buying jewelry, particularly diamonds. It's so easy to make the sale by giving false information or worse, leaving out vital facts. We find this practice to be very common, particularly among chain stores, but not at Thompson Jewelers. We constantly are faced with customers who made purchases at other stores, assuming they got a great value. We find these purchases are nice to look at, but often the mountings are poor quality and the diamonds contain numerous inclusions and are off color. The truth is the buyer actually overpaid. Thompson Jewelers staff has been trained to be very truthful and not leave off vital information. Please compare with us. You'll be glad you did because quality for quality, our prices simply cannot be beat. In addition, if you mention you heard this on WTLN, we'll take off an additional 10%. You can't miss at on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950, WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Uh, Leslie Williams, our guest in that first half hour, talking about her book, When Anything Goes. Uh, we go from her home in Kerrville, Texas, uh, to uh, Lombard, Illinois. That's where uh, Northern Seminary is located. And our guest is Scott McKnight, professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary. Uh, we're going to talk about his new book, The Heaven's Promise, Engaging the Bible's Truth About Life to Come. Very interesting half hour ahead. Scott, thanks for plugging in here with me. Pat, great to be with you again. Uh, tell me, uh, what, what brought this book about? Well, I, I sat down with my literary agent, Greg Daniel, one day over breakfast, and we, we got to talking about how people experience God. And all the debates that these topics raise, and the next thing, we were talking about three topics. We were talking about heaven and near-death experiences, uh, because many people believe in God or believe in an afterlife, because, and so they believe in heaven because they've had some kind of near-death experience. Then we talked about angels, uh, and I've written that book, and it's coming out this spring. Mm. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit, and uh, I'm working on that uh, just before this phone call came in. So... So that's how the book arose, and this is the first of three uh, on what I would call the God experience, and that is uh, how people uh, experience God, how they come to believe in God, and at the same time, I want to offer, as a Bible person, I want to offer fresh biblical wisdom on what the Bible actually teaches about heaven. So my book is an attempt to explain to ordinary people what the Bible teaches about heaven, and how it can give us great confidence in facing our own deaths 
facing, facing diseases and offering hope to people. Scott, the book is broken down into four parts. Part one is called The Heaven Question, Surprising Places, Imaginations of the Imaginative. Let's uh, let's cover that first, please. Yeah, you know, I uh, when I began to write this book, well, even before, I began to collect from major social media statements I was finding that people made about heaven, and I was really quite surprised. Ted Turner talks about heaven, so therefore <laughs> Jane Fonda talks about heaven. I have theological friends who talk about heaven. I find it in news, in news media. I find it in movies. Uh, heaven is not enough, etc. cetera. Uh, we, and we had all these near-death experience stories. Uh, so it was, it was all over. I was, I was finding a lot more talk about this than I, than I was expecting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Bible guy, so, and I'm a professor. We tend to live in our own world. Uh, and don't always pay attention to what everybody else is thinking. And I've tried to develop an ear to hear how ordinary people talk about heaven. But what I've also learned, uh, Pat, is that um, people believe a lot of things about heaven uh, because of experiences or stories they've heard or near-death experiences or simply imagination. And um, one of the cynical conclusions that someone could draw about what Christians believe about heaven is that it is nothing more than imaginative exercises that give us a little bit of joy and happiness and hope now, but it's all a delusion. And if I were to be honest with you, I'd say if I listened to what everybody was saying heaven was going to be like, and didn't root myself in the Bible and the deep Christian tradition, I think I would become quite cynical about heaven because, frankly, this is, this is the alarming result. Everybody's heaven seems to be what they would like their present earth to be. So I have friends who think heaven will be a great golf course. I'm one of them. I hope it is. <laughs> I love to play golf. I love golf courses. I have friends who think it's going to be a coffee shop, and they're going to be able to sit there and talk with their friends like it's a French salon. Um, I've heard people say that heaven will just be unbridled pleasure, and that means, you know, like we hear sometimes of uh, Muslims uh, and or we hear of Mormons who think we'll have many, many wives, and <clears throat> that seems to be a pretty clear indication that it's going to be untold and unrestricted pleasure. So I've, I've challenged all this by saying, I know a lot of people today are talking about heaven, and I know there's a lot of imaginative ideas about heaven, but let's really just get back to what the Bible says. See what Jesus says. See what the apostles, see what the Bible actually teaches. So that's how we got into the second part of the book then. And how about that old song, Scott? Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. <laughs> and by the I've way... I've never heard that one, Pat. And That's by, pretty good. And by yeah. the by the way, one wife is enough. One, one one is enough. I mean, to go to heaven and say you're going to have twenty wives, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you're right. Now we move to the second part. It's called the heaven promise. Heaven, it's a promise. The heart of the promise. The Christian belief in heaven or on earth, facing death, standing in the empty tomb. Wow. Uh, what a segment, Scott. I'm eager for you to explain all that to us. Yeah, I wish I could do it in in uh, 
five minutes. I'll do my best, Pat. Uh, the first thing I want people to understand about heaven is that it's a promise from God. Heaven is as secure as the Word of God is faithful. Mm-hmm. If we believe that what God says will come to pass, and we have all those Old Testament prophecies that come to pass in Jesus as pretty good witness for us to trust the Word of God and the prophecies, then I think we can be confident that we are facing an afterlife where there will be a new heaven and a new earth, a heaven. So I, I like to say over and over that I believe in heaven because I believe in God. And God, our God, the God of the Bible, has promised that someday he will make all things right. And that means there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And this is one of the big themes uh, about heaven. A lot of people think that heaven is a place we zip off to in our soul or in a spirit uh, to to be in the presence of God in sort of an ethereal, mystical, ghost-like existence. This happens to us when we die and we stay there forever. But many people, including uh, luminary scholars like uh, N.T. Wright, have really pressed hard for us to realize, to see, that what the Bible teaches is not that we, in a sense, that our eternal resting home is a soul-type, spirit-type existence uh, in the presence of God, but rather that God will bring that heavenly place to earth to uh, in a grand marriage ceremony, the book of Revelation, where it will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. So it will be the earth as we know it transformed, and we will be living a sort of we will live a, an embodied existence. So the Christian belief is not that we, in a sense, we live a, a, an exclusive soul-type existence, but that we will live an embodied existence on the new heavens and in the new or in the new heavens and new earth, and we will we will have bodies that will be like the resurrected body of Jesus, which is the ultimate anchor for the promise that we believe about heaven is, I often say it this way, if Jesus was raised from the dead, there is a heaven. Because he was raised to enter into a new kind of existence. He had a body like ours, but it was different than ours. He could walk through walls, and the last time I tried, accidentally, I stopped quickly (laughs) and had a bruise on my head, and my glasses were broken. So uh, what we want is, what we want is to restore the idea that this world matters because it is this world that's going to be transformed. Our bodies matter because it is these bodies that are going to be transformed. And uh, that might make us take care of our bodies and our earth even better. I mean, yeah, our better. So um, one of the big ideas that we need to have about heaven is that we need to look at death standing, what I say is, standing in the tomb of Jesus. We can stand there with Jesus and look out and realize we're in the tomb. We thought we were going to find a body, but we know that he's outside that tomb because death is not the final word, that the final word is resurrection life that will raise us from the dead and and usher us into the presence of God and then bring us back to earth to experience a flourishing world where everything is made right. And we can see this 
standing in the tomb of Jesus, knowing what he did for us and ahead of us. Scott McKnight is our guest. The book is called The Heaven Promise. Scott is professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary in Lombard, Illinois. Uh, Part four of your book, by the way, Scott, is fascinating to me. Uh, Ten questions about heaven. And uh, I I want to dive into that. I don't want to leave these out and, and run out of time. Um, so l- let me d- let me pose the questions and you tell us about them. Um, what about near death experiences? Question mark. Okay, uh, I think that all that near death experiences teach us is that they may give us a glimpse of life beyond the grave. But I'm not absolutely certain even of that because nobody who gives a near death experience actually died because clinically to be dead takes hours and hours and hours so i would say that near-death experience stories are experiences in the brain of what was already in the brain on the basis of what that person knew and believed here's something really important pat Mm. there have been near-death experiences throughout all of history the ancient egyptians the ancient Romans, the ancient Greeks, the medieval Christians, uh, Reformation Christians, modern Christians, American Christians, Europe, take it all over the world. There are death, there are near-death experiences. And what is alarming is that people's near-death experiences reflect the culture in which they live. So the Greeks had um, slithery, slimy, dark uh, entanglement in roots because they believed in Hades. Medieval Christians, uh, especially Roman Catholic Christians, their near-death experiences focus many times and almost exclusively on hell and purgatory. Um, Modern Christians find a near-death experience that reflects their own beliefs. So a woman named Mally Cox Chapman Studied, uh, she's a professional journalist, journalist and a professor, studied near-death experiences, and her conclusion is you get to have the kind of heaven you want if you believe in near-death experiences. So I, Pat, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm not cynical, but I'm doubtful of the value of near-death experiences, and I believe we ought to anchor our belief about heaven in the resurrection of Jesus, and in the heaven promise of God, as taught in the Bible, and not in near-death experiences. Question number two. What about rewards in heaven? The Bible uses the word reward for both heaven itself and for what we will get in heaven. So there seems to be a correlation between how we live now and what we will experience in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't like to speculate of what it will be. Someone like John Calvin or Jonathan Edwards wisely said it may have to do with the the depth of our intimacy of the glory and goodness and love and grace of God. Uh, That's pretty reasonable to me, but uh, there's another dimension to that, is that is in the Bible, uh, the persons who are given crowns and rewards throw them at the feet of the Lamb. So in the end, I think if there are rewards, we share them with everyone because we surrender them to Christ 
and we uh, we enter into the new heavens and the new earth to become the people that God made us to be, uh, not to be better than the people uh, around us. Scott McKnight is our guest, and we have another segment with Scott. So stay with us. Uh, having a fascinating discover, uh, discussion about his new book, The Heaven Promise. And when we come back, uh, the next question, who will be in heaven? And then there's another question, is God fair? So uh, stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. What's new at the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN? Addison's Walk, Saturday afternoons at 4. Welcome to Addison's Walk. This is Michael Phillips. I am the headmaster of Smith Prep, and I am the host of Addison's Walk. We are right now in the process of introducing the subject of what is the church. few questions that are as important as this one. It's going to be a lively discussion. I'm excited about it. All new Saturday afternoons at 4. Addison's Walk, only on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Addison's Walk is a ministry of the Smith Prep Education Foundation. The holidays are here. This year, be sure to get real cash back on all your shopping with Ibotta. Download the free Ibotta app, I-B-O-T-T-A, and get cash back on gifts, groceries, and essentials for all your celebrations. Just unlock, shop, and get cash. Gifts for them, cash for you. Download Ibotta free today and get $10 just for trying it. $10. I-B-O-T-T-A. This holiday, you've got to Ibotta. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. How do you view sin? Do you divide sins into categories of big and little? Or is sin, sin no matter what? For answers to those questions from God's point of view, join us this week on Through the Bible Radio. We'll gain a new perspective on sin and how it affects our relationship with God and man from the book of Leviticus with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McKee. Weekdays at 2.30 and 9.30 p.m. on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Professor Scott McKnight is with us from Lombard, Illinois. And as advertised, Scott, uh, the third question in your book, and it's a wonderful book, by the way, called The Heaven Promise, who will be in heaven? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I read this. I read a bunch of stories about this. I read a bunch of theological treatments, and I, I wanted to see also how people in other religions believe uh, what it would take to get into heaven. And I, I sorted through all these, and it was always some sort of a variant on works and what you have to do, how good you have to be. And I came to the conclusion we're starting at the wrong place. Uh, the question, who will be in heaven, begins really with who. And the who who will be in heaven is Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
So my belief is this. I think the best and safest answer is to say is that who will be in heaven? Christ and all those who are in Christ. Instead of arguing, this is what you have to do to get into heaven, and I know sometimes evangelism almost goes in that direction too much. I think we need to turn it around and say, Christ is going to be in heaven. Heaven is a place, the new heavens and the new earth, is a place designed for people who adore the Lamb, who worship the Son of God, who follow Jesus, and who want to be in His presence. So to me, the who will be in heaven is answered in in very strict Orthodox Christian theology by the simple answer, those who are in Christ and only those who are in Christ. Now let's go to this one. Is God fair? Is God fair? I believe that we have a moral question to face here. We at times talk about heaven in such a way that it seems like God is arbitrary. Sometimes even the doctrine of election is that God just sort of willy-nilly chose some names and said the rest of them will be damned forever. I believe that our God is good. Our God is truthful. Our God is fair and just. So I believe that God works in every person's heart throughout all of history, all that life long, probing and pushing and revealing the truth of God to people, and so that God will be fair because God is good. And so in the end, I think we will all say, however it shakes out, whoever ends up in heaven in Christ, that was good and fair. I think it is a very serious moral challenge to make God arbitrary. Next question. Will there be families? Pat, there's one passage in the New Testament that so much has been based on. And I was shocked one day, because I just read it in the traditional way when I read my friend uh, Ben Witherington's commentary on Mark, in which he said, you know, this text doesn't actually teach uh, when it says that uh, there will be neither marriage nor giving in marriage in heaven. There will be neither marrying nor giving in marriage in heaven. He says, this text does not actually say people won't be married in heaven. It only says that there will not be new weddings in heaven. The language given here is the language of someone giving someone in marriage and someone marrying someone who is, uh, to whom they've been, the one that's been given to them. So I, I have followed Ben's lights on this and chased this down for a few years, and I believe, although I'm not at all super confident or certain, I believe that that's the only passage in the Bible that would suggest that we will not remain married in heaven and that we will not remain in our families. And everything about the Jewish world that surrounded the New Testament was that the new heavens and the new earth, or what they called the Holom Abba, the age to come, that, uh, that would be a time when people would be in families, in tribes, in their places, and it would be a glorified human world. And I have to say that I lean in that direction on that question. Now, now let's talk about, what about children who die? All right, I've had friends, though, who tell me they hope, they hope that they're not married and have. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's sad. Uh, children. Uh, this one is another one that goes back to, is God fair and is God good? 
I don't, we don't have really clear biblical evidence. There are texts like uh, that you will see the face, these faces of the children in heaven, etc. Um, you know, that the kingdom of God is made up of children like these, a little one. Uh, I believe that, that God is good and God is fair, and that all those who die prior to a normal life, a life where they've been able to be responsible before God, will be given the opportunity in the new heavens and the new earth to live the life that they were called by God to live. So I, I think we have to do some guessing here. We have to do some theological reasoning. Um, my belief is I, I would be confident uh, to tell uh, parents whose children, uh, whose infant died at birth, that you will be with this child in the new heavens and the new earth where God will make all things right. What about cremation? Um, There's there's been some renewed interest in this, Pat, because uh, more and more uh, social justice advocates are saying, you know, we got to quit taking up all this land space with cemeteries that are filled with cement and steel and will never degrade uh, and think more about cremation as a form of, of uh, burial. Well, here's the, here's the bi- biblical principle, from dust to dust. The biblical principle is that we're born, or that we're created out of the dust, and we're going to return to the dust, which is a way of saying that we will eventually completely decompose. Uh, this, is, this is true uh, chemically. We, we know this is true. We know the resurrection is the reconstitution of our bodies by a miraculous new creation work of God. So therefore, I see creation as little more, just, just the, almost the same, but little more than speeding up the process of decomposition. I think it is wise and a legitimate Christian approach to funerals to go through cremation. But I would be very careful pastorally with people who want to be cremated if they despise their body or despise the significance of the body in God's creation and in the new heavens and the new earth. So I would want pastorally for people who are cremated to know that that body that they've got now is going to be reconstituted and and made for the new heavens and the new earth, and they are not shedding that body, but they're allowing it to decompose because it's going to be recomposed in the goodness and glory of God's new creation. Uh, Scott McKnight is our guest. We're talking about his book, The Heaven Promise. What about purgatory, Scott? Purgatory um, is misunderstood by many evangelical and Protestant sites because they think it's a second chance. Uh, In the history of Christian theology, uh, mostly Roman Catholic, is the belief that when we finish life on earth, we are still pretty sinful people, and we are not sinless or perfected and that therefore we need a little bit of time, in a sense, to get cleaned up. Uh, I don't believe that the New Testament teaches this. At times, the way people talk about purgatory is positively against what the New Testament teaches, because it suggests that we have to perfect ourselves by becoming better. When the New Testament teaches that Christ has done everything for us, and he is the perfect one, and we become perfect in him as he perfects us, through the power of the Spirit. So I believe at the moment of resurrection, 
at the moment uh, of what I call in my book, The First Hour in Heaven, that all things will be made right and that there is no necessary reason, there's no biblical reason, and at times there are dangerous reasons uh, that need to be rejected. So I would say I do not think the Bible teaches purgatory at all. Well, Scott, it's been a great, great discussion. Uh, We've run out of time. Uh, Will there be pets in heaven? (laughs) Do you have 10 seconds on will there be pets in heaven? And then we got to run. God created this world with an amazing glory and diversity and beauty and joy. And what he created here, he will perfect in the new heaven and the new earth. So I look forward to seeing our Bishan on the other side. (laughs) Million thanks, Scott. Listen, we'll have have a wrap-up right after this. On the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 